My name's Chris, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Chris. I uh, never know sometimes what my, I know what my story is, but I never know what part of my story might be important. We have a newcomer here today. When I came into Overeaters Anonymous, I just didn't want to weigh 205 pounds anymore. I didn't know about 12 steps. I didn't have the money for a diet club. I probably would have gone there if they would have had me. I just went because I didn't want to weigh 205 pounds anymore. Or, or again, rather. I, it would have been again at this point. And my birthday was in three weeks. Now this was in 1976. I don't know what the, what the deal was. Some of these meetings out east had something about you do something for 21 days, and I don't know if you're cured, you break a habit, you can step up. I don't know what it was about. <laughs> but it was 21 days, and I came in on March 1st, 1976, and my birthday's on March 22nd, and I heard 21 days and said, this is a God thing. I'm supposed to be here because I'll be done in 21 days. And I knew what I had planned for 21 days. The only reason I was there is because I wanted to lose at least five pounds before my birthday because you probably, you know, five pounds is not that much to gain if you eat a cake. So um, that's why I came and that's why I stayed for three weeks. At the end of three weeks, three meetings, Something enough had happened that I never had that cake. Um, my, my husband gave me a pineapple with a candle in it. It, it doesn't say that I got struck abstinent my first three weeks and never had a problem again. Um, it took, that's part of my story. It took me, it took me 18 months, actually. But um, I'd heard enough to know that that was a stupid thing for me to do. My lowest weight is nine pounds, 10 ounces. And even at that, even at that, I was big for my age. And I never got lower than, I never, never was the appropriate weight for my age until I was in my um, late 20s, mid 20s to late 20s. I was never an appropriate age weight for my height or my age. I was born in a little town in South Dakota. My father, in 1949, so you know, that what services are available in a small town in South Dakota in 1949. And I was a formula baby, so caro syrup and whatever they made that formula out of, I was mainlining sugar from day one. And our family business is a, was a retail bakery, a very good one. But our whole life was baked goods and sugar. My dad was the alcoholic. My mom was pretty well normal, except for the fact that she married an alcoholic. The alcoholism skipped uh, her, but it was her grandfather and her daughter, and she married an alcoholic. So that's pretty normal. You either become one or you marry one or whatever. Um, or you bear them. But you know, she was right on track, but didn't have Al-Anon. And, and I had an older, an older brother. So food was our life. We didn't, I mean, when you own a food business, a perishable food business, it's basically your life. You work six days a week and it's your life. It, it's not that you knew something different. When I was about three or four, one of my first memories, we were just, sorry, I was late. We were in this meeting about the 12-day sponsorship program. And thinking, uh, one of the questions was for people to think back, <clears throat> how does this manifest it? 
yourself in your life. When I was about three or four, I remember eating bread and jelly. And I remember not being able to stop. And I remember the adults around the table saying, honey, don't you think you've had enough? Don't you think you should, have, you should stop? And someone saying to my mother, don't you think she's had enough? And I still remember that as plain as day. I had not had enough. It was fabulous stuff, what I was eating, you know? When I was 24, I remember my um, soon-to-be, the man who would eventually be my (laughs) ex-husband, we weren't married yet, um, came to visit, and I always kept cookies in the freezer for him, so I wouldn't eat them, of course, and he went to the freezer to get a cookie, and he said, the cookies are gone. News to me. And um, that wasn't 10. Yeah. Um, the, and, and I said, oh, well, I had company over. We ate them. So now I, the behavior hadn't changed at all, except now I was also lying about it. 20 years, 20 years of being addicted to sugary stuff. And the older I got, the less appropriate it was for my age. Now I lie about it probably had been for a long time. But um, the disease, if, I, if I'm a really, truly addicted to something, it's in a physical addiction. So if I put a cookie into my body, I'm not going to be able to, on the basis of what I, my intentions are, stop. Dumb luck, you know, someone might come in and take my cookies, or there might be an earthquake, or maybe I just will be lucky that day. But it's not that they, based on, on, on anything I will do, I would be able to stop if it's sugar. Or, as I found out later, if it's a low-cal sugar substitute, first ingredient of which is dextrose. God, no wonder I put sweet and low in everything. And if I want more of it, and I want too much of it, and I can't stop eating it, They told me, look at the label, because, honey, there's probably sugar in there. And that's the truth. I don't eat, you know, I'm not a person that can can consume sugar without something being set up. Okay, so how did I get fat? Well, I was always big for my age. My father and best friend and cohort and playmate, the alcoholic, died when I was seven. I was already out of my 6X clothing, of course, by the time I was four. But I wasn't, in my mind, I wasn't fat. And when I was seven, I went into what was now, I guess, called the childhood depression. But I sat in front of the TV set, because we now had one, and ate cookies and watched cartoons. And by the time I was 11, I was 205 pounds. So when the little self-esteem is being established in a child's brain, my little, self, my little sense of self was established that I don't fit. I don't fit into regular clothes. I don't fit into the cute school desks for little kids. Um, people make fun of me. My own brother has a nickname called me Oodles. And I was sad and fat and miserable, and there was a big dent in the couch where I sat all the time. It never bounced back. It just sagged. And that was my impression of myself, I guess. So to make up for that, I was loud, I was boisterous, I was cynical, I was mean, I was crabby, I was angry, I'd criticize other people to make myself feel better, I'd gossip, I'd, I'd get mad, I, um, all of that. 
so my dad died. They got rid of the alcoholic. She got me. And these are older parents. So she was 42 and she had me. So she was 50 when my dad died almost. And, and so she's a 50-year-old with a, a really embarrassing-looking child, you know. God bless her. She stuck with me and never said anything. I was the elephant in the living room, but she didn't. She wasn't one of those mothers that harped on my weight and harped on my size and wanted me to be pretty. She, I guess, saw it as her mission in life was to raise me because my dad had died. I, she says she loves me, and I think she really did. But it couldn't have been easy. It's not easy to love a disagreeable person. We all know that. It's hard. The things we tried. I say we because it was my problem. What are you going to do about it? What's the doctor going to do about it? What's mom going to do about it? What's my husband going to do about it? Don't give me those cookies that are in the freezer. God forbid he should say something, you know, to try to keep me from that. No responsibility on my part because I really hadn't, didn't know about that. Alcoholics, addicts don't know about that. Um, so we tried diet pills, pure speed. I was probably 12. Um, we tried the magazine diets. We tried not eating all day. We tried um, good intentions. We tried the lady in the pink bikini, her picture on the refrigerator to give me incentive to become blonde with brown eyes. Um, I wanted to look like Sky King's niece Penny. Anybody ever remember the Sky King show? I wanted to be Sky King's niece Penny. She, I knew she was blonde. She had an airplane and a horse and a boyfriend. And I mean, it was a black and white TV. What did I know? OK. So what happens is that I tried everything. What makes me different from other people is that those things don't work for me. They work for me for about two to three weeks. I have a really flitty brain. After about two or three weeks of anything, I lose interest. Because work gets hard. That's why I don't play piano very well. That's why I'm a so-so bowler. That's why you know the first two holes of golf are good, but after that, I, I never work to get the muscle up. That's, that's why I don't play piano. You know, it's why I don't roller skate well, you know? It's why I still have to run into the wall to stop when I ice skate. It's because I do it just good enough, and then I settle. And then I would settle. And things you learn when you're a kid, of course, I never tried in the first place because I don't want people to make fun of me. And so I would diet just enough to get people to start saying, oh, you're looking pretty good. Oh, good for you, blah, 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 blah. Maybe you get a new size cloth, one clothing, one down, and then Boom, something would happen. That birthday would come around again, and Christmas would come around again, and the office party would come around again, and Tuesday would come around again. <laughs> and that's an addict. If I were a normal eater, if I were one of those women that gained 20 pounds because she had a baby, I'd go to Weight Watchers. I'd lose a stupid 20 pounds. Nothing was wrong with my self-esteem in the first place. I just lost track, and I'd go on with my life. So for me to come here and, not, and, not, not, and to think I'm different is pretty interesting. Well, I didn't think I was different because we had the 15 questions. How I got to Overeaters Anonymous, I lost the weight once. I lost all the rest of the weight after we got married. And I, we were poor. And um, we were in graduate school. 
and we didn't want to take out a loan. We were house-sitting instead of having an apartment. So we were kind of technically homeless, but we'd house-sit. And we didn't have money for fancy food, and we didn't have money for booze, and we didn't have money for gas for the car because it was that first bogus oil thing in the 70s. And so we walked, and we ate sparingly, and I lost the last 45 pounds. I think I had to lose the last 45 pounds in order for me to realize that I had a problem that was not my weight. It was the eating and the behavior and the addiction and the weird head. But it wasn't just the weight because my belief system for 26, seven years had been, when I get to be thin then, I will be like Sky Kings and East Penny. <laughs> And the only thing that happened when I got to be thin was that I got to was that I was thin, or and like like your whole belief system that you've lived by for two decades, more almost three decades, came crashing down. And I really thought something was wrong with me. Fine, you know, there is something wrong with me. I must be crazy. And I went to a doctor. I got to be too thin. You know, obviously I'm not thin enough if I'm not happy. So I'll get thinner. So I got way too thin. And I went to a doctor who probably thought I was pretty crazy. And I called uh, one of the weight clubs who said they couldn't help me at this point because I was still on the charts within a normal range. I mean, when an overly, overly thin pe person sits down and tells you how fat she is, it's just not, you know, that's when it's up here. And that's what really scared me. So I did what I evidently always had done which is that I went, started going back unconsciously, but going back to the problem I knew how to deal with, overweight. 27 pounds later, I was really scared because I couldn't stop gaining weight. And I didn't even think I was overeating. I went to get my hair cut. Why that day? Just one of those cheap walk-in hair places. Um, no premeditation about where I was going or who I was going to see. And this woman said, you have beautiful hair. And I said, my whole story to her. <laughs> and she said, I'm in this program. I go, I go to a program. I bet you'd really enjoy it. I'm at work. I can't do 12-step 12, 12 work, work at work. She gave me her card and said, give me a call. I'll tell you about it. And so about six months later, not, not quite that long later, I called her and she told me where they're about, that it was called Overeaters Anonymous and, and they had meetings close to where I lived and, and that I should, you know, I could just go check it out. I don't recall that she tried to proselytize or evangelize or do anything, except that it was really helpful and, and it was free and it was close enough to my house that I dared drive there because I was afraid to drive the Beltway. As you all know, I still am afraid to drive on interstate highways. Or it's not my choice, anyway. And, and it was close to home, and it was on the night I could go, and I could go. So I believe this is a God thing. I don't know why I ended up at that hair salon with that person telling her my whole story. I had never heard of it. Overeaters Anonymous. I knew about AA, not that I'd been there, I just knew it was for alcoholics. And I, and, and I, would, have, and I would have said I was a foodaholic if there were such things, ha, ha, ha. But we knew there aren't. So, and so 
if, if, it's a, if it's a cosmic coincidence, I call it a God thing. If you don't believe in God, I call cosmic coincidences God things. It's a short word, and it works. Um, they had, in that first meeting, a woman who said, I have a disease, and it's not curable. Uh, it's called compulsive overeating. And one day at a time, I don't have to do it. We don't really have a cure yet. We don't have a cure here, but you don't have to do it anymore. And we had this list of 15 questions. And I thought that was great because, uh, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I'm with a group that really understands me. And then at the bottom it says, if you can answer yes to even one, you might have this. And it's like, oh, man, I really have this. I really have something. And that was good news for me. I really do have something wrong with me. I'd always thought I had something wrong with me. I knew I had something wrong with me. But the whole world said I didn't. And here were a group of mostly overweight people, except for the thin girl in the back. She worked at a hair salon, and she always did her nails. She did her nails every Tuesday night during the OA meeting. <laughs> now, this is in 76, you know? I mean, we didn't have so many guidelines. And she would sit there and do her nails. <laughs> Everybody else still had a lot of weight to lose. And I only had, like, at that point, probably 10 pounds to lose to get back to be normal because I started at 113 and gained 27 and whatever. And so there I was. And I took home the gray sheet and I called God. I don't know. I got somebody to call, I guess, and told them what I was going to eat. And that's all I knew. That's all I came for. Three weeks, a diet where I could lose some weight. I'm going to eat cake on March 22nd. I got exactly what I came for. I did not have a desire to change my life. I did not have a desire to change, to, to commit to something, anything, really, but um, especially to um, all of this. I read the steps. They gave me a pamphlet, you know, and, and I read it, and I read the steps. I took the pamphlet home. I gave it to my husband, and he said, you know, I think this is what you have. He'd been with me since I was 18. He, he'd seen, you know, the ups and the downs and the moods and, you know, hi, honey, how are you this morning? Oh, she must have weighed herself. <laughs> the poor people that live with us, you know, they don't, they don't know what they've done. What did I do to make her happy? What did I do to make her mad? What, what you know, they, they need Al-Anon, but, you know, they don't know because we are so inconsistent and so moody. And so, God bless him, you know, when I got into this program, one of the first things that he said was, it is such a relief that you have somebody to talk to because it's all been on me to not upset the apple cart. And that's a lot of responsibility, and I feel like I can't have any problems of my own. You know, he was relieved. Now, later, of course, he and, and, um, and uh, other spouses were really pissed off about all the phone calls and the meetings and, the, you know, the anonymity piece of this. But at the long run, only once did he say you were more fun when you were eating. And then later in the day said, no, that's not true. It wasn't more fun when you were eating. So I got the gray sheet. Why did I follow the gray sheet? It was the only diet they had. 
We didn't have the dignity of choice. We didn't have the books. We didn't have very many pamphlets. And they were out of the other diets. So whatever they were, they had bread on them or something. I got the gray sheet. And um, it had hot dogs and pineapple on it. And I loved both. And no other diets I'd been on had that. Okay, so what happened? For 18 months, I did my own version of OA. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, 12. Let me tell you about the program. One, two, not two, one point, one, two point eight is what I did. When I was a child, oh gosh, do I have five minutes left and that's it? Okay. Um, when I was a little kid, uh, when I was a little kid, my dad used to, used, we had a porch, wraparound porch in the house, and, he, and little kids would jump off the porch and he would catch them. Now, I knew my dad caught everybody because I saw him do it. I believed that he would catch me because I saw him do it. But I did not trust him to do it, and I never jumped, ever. And that's kind of how step three was for me. I knew this program worked because I saw it work in you. I believed this program worked because I saw it work in you. I believed a higher power could do this because I saw it work in you but I couldn't quite do it. And it took me 18 months of going to meetings, of studying the big book, of, of talking about the program, like a big hypocrite that I, thin hypocrite that I was, before I got it. And that happened at the Green Earth Cafe in Baltimore, Maryland, November 13th, 1977. And I was sitting there eating something that I was perfectly right, fine food for me today, but it wasn't what I told my sponsor I was going to do. You see, remember I lie. And for whatever reason, I was totally had a moment of clarity and embarrassment for myself. I was, I, my belief system had changed so much, but my behavior had not. And I was at a point where I needed to leap or stay on the porch. I either needed to start living the way I had come to believe, or I needed to go back to living the other way. But there really wasn't going to be a choice. And, and that was my step three. It meant I had to do four and five and the rest of them. And a lot of us bail at three, at 2.8. And a lot of us bail at four, because gosh, the thought of five is scary. And a lot of us bail at nine, or rather at eight, because the thought of nine is scary. And if we can just stick in there with each other to get ourselves through this, because every, every new leap off that porch is scary, but those of us who've done it know that you get caught, either by friends or by the program or by each other, as long as I don't take the first compulsive bite. If I take the first compulsive bite, I'm sunk. Overeaters Anonymous says abstinence at its simplest definition is to refrain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors. And then it says at the emotional and spiritual level, at its more complicated level, it is a state of mind. And we come to a state of mind, my sponsor believes, by acting. She said, you're going to act yourself into right thinking. You're going to do it even if you don't want to. You're going to do it even if you're afraid to. You're going to do it if you have to call me all day long, every day. Now it's text. But we can do this together. My, my story now, for the most part, is life, 40 years of being abstinent. 
40 years of being an older person, raising kids, getting a divorce, getting remarried. Sometimes I don't know what to say, but every so often, as you will find if you, if you wait long enough, don't eat, don't die, you will have long-term abstinence. You look in the mirror, you know, I look in the mirror and I'll say, who the hell are you now? You know, I think that's what happens at three, three and a half. Is this all there is? Who am I now? I look normal. People expect me to be normal. Oh my God, what do I do? And that's where we help each other. My, my sponsor is terrifically, terrifically, terrifically practical. Our people in Baltimore were practical. They took us out to eat and showed us how to do it. They showed me how to eat like a lady. They showed me how to go shopping. They showed me how to cross my legs instead of sitting there. You know, they showed me all sorts of things because there's a practical aspect to no longer being, there's, there's a practical aspect to learning how to fit. You know, I'm not gonna pretend that I'm not who I am, but there are times when I have to learn how to pretend to fit in to the world. And I don't think that's being dishonest. It's just being what God has led us to be. And it started with not taking the first bite, with calling the person and giving her my food, and actually giving her my word is what I was giving her. There's no getting away. It's between me and me and me and God. But I was giving her my word. And I had never done that with people before. You know, I promise you I will eat this food plan today. That sounds so simple, but it's the beginning. And one day of abstaining from whatever it is you can't abstain from, it's a huge victory. Everybody in here never has to overeat again if you don't, if you're willing to simply hang in here together and suffer and be miserable. No. <laughs> It's a ride. I'm going to tell you it's a ride. I'm not going to tell you it's not a ride. I've gone over my time. It is a ride. But either way, unless I was going to die tomorrow, I was going to be here. And I would rather be here, here, than still alive and out there, all alone, in my 40th time at a weight loss club, knowing it's going to come back on. So thank you. <laughs>